Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, August 27th. We begin with a look at the upcoming federal election, specifically the favorability of each major party leader. We get the latest numbers from Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. Next, we head stateside. We catch up with Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. We get details on the U.S. pullout of Afghanistan, including the deadly attack Thursday at the Kabul airport and the most recent number of active daily COVID-19 cases, which continue to trend high. Then we look at the controversy surrounding whether vaccinations should be mandated in our universities and colleges. We discuss with a law professor from Western University. And finally, it's been a crazy year in the real estate world. We get a snapshot of what the Calgary market looks like today and some insight as to what could be in store as we move into fall. We speak with Justin Haver, realtor and owner of Justin Haver and Associates, Remax First. I feel like this might spur a lot of texts on our text line this morning, but what are the favorable and unfavorable views that Canadians have of our party leaders as Election Day quickly approaches? We're joined this morning by Daryl Bricker, the CEO of Global Affairs with Ipsos, to talk about some new polling numbers that are out. Good morning, Daryl. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Sue. Okay, we're talking about the leaders specifically, so are there more people who like a leader than dislike, or you know, how does that shake out in terms of you know, positive and negative uh, viewpoints on, on the leaders of the big parties across the country? Well, the only leader that uh, more people like than dislike, uh, who's uh, of the major party leaders right now, is Jagmeet Singh, where we've got 45% saying they have a favorable opinion and 39% saying they have an unfavorable opinion. Mm. So that's not tremendous. I mean, it's plus six. But when you compare it to uh, Justin Trudeau and Aaron O'Toole, he's certainly quite quite a bit further ahead than them. Daryl, you folks at Ipsos can certainly tailor any data you want. You can look at the huge groups or, or really zero in. So we're wondering, uh, besides the, the thoughts of all Canadians, you looked at how favorable the leaders are within their own party supporters, and it would seem that not everyone has strong support from within their own party lines. Yeah, and that uh, in particular, uh, um, Aaron O'Toole, uh, only 67% of people who say they're going to vote conservative today say that they have a favorable impression of, of Aaron O'Toole. Uh, and he's the only of the three major party leaders, he's the only one that finds himself in that situation. The other two leaders have really high support among their uh, their partisans. And not surprising, I mean, there's a lot of division in the uh, in the conservative party uh, between, you know, east and west, between people with more sort of progressive views and people with more conservative views. Uh, and uh, Aaron O'Toole has had to tape over a lot of things to get through this election campaign. But uh, still, when people look at his leadership and they they uh, they, they think about him, uh, who are partisan conservatives, they still have questions. Do we hear his name pop up as well when we talk about people who just don't think they know enough about who the leaders are to really even have an opinion? That's a really good point, Sue. The, uh, uh, if you take a look at the three major party leaders, uh, only about 6% of people say they don't have enough of, of an impression of Justin Trudeau to say that uh, they can say he's either good or bad. Uh, with Jagmeet Singh, it's only 16, but with, with, uh, with Aaron O'Toole, it's 24. Mm. Uh, so there's still a lot of people out there who have to make up their minds about Aaron O'Toole, and they'll do that through the course of the uh, election campaign. It's been very hard for the party, uh, for an unknown party leader to make any sort of impression during the pandemic because just about every mechanism available to do that has been closed down. So this is his introduction to Canadians. Well, you can't exactly separate the leader from the party. Uh, Based on past polling you've done, are people more likely to shift their vote if they don't particularly like the leader of a party that might have otherwise won their vote? 
You know, in in when I first started this about thirty years ago, sad to say, mm-hmm. um, uh, partisanship used to be more of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people would say, you know, my parents were Tories and now I'm a Tory, or my parents were liberals and now I'm a liberal. These days, uh, it's much more malleable. People can go back and forth, and and the way that they do that is through usually the leader. So Justin Trudeau, back in 2015, he was the face and voice of the Liberal Party. He was their complete brand, and he had struck exactly the right tone with Canadians and won a comfortable majority as a result. 2019, obviously not in the same position, but Andrew Scheer, who had an opportunity to uh, to, to beat Justin Trudeau, couldn't get himself in a position uh, with Canadians as a positive leader to be able to do that. So the challenge now is for both Jagmeet Singh and uh, and Aaron O'Toole, as Trudeau struggles at the moment, whether or not they can replace him as the as the, as the voice of uh, positive change for Canada. So it's a very interesting election race right now, mm-hmm. and it, uh, there's no it's, it's not easy to say how it's going to conclude at the moment. And let's talk about as we were chatting just before we had the chance to speak with you, Daryl, about 24 days away, three weeks, three days from the big day and the the, the shift as far as favorability is concerned or even in parties. We can see things vastly change in 24 days, can't we? Yeah, we can see things vastly changing and, and, and change and they are changing at the moment. I mean, the Liberals... Two weeks ago, had a five-point lead in our latest polling. The, the two parties are tied. Uh, we'll see what we're going to be in the next uh, the next polling. But the, you, you can you can feel all the signs, <laughs> see all the signs that uh, um, uh, that the Liberals are really struggling to get back on track right now. And both the Conservatives and the NDP are having a better campaign. So we'll see. Uh, you know what kind of conclusion. Canadians come to as a result of that over the course of the next few days. But, uh, yeah, it's not going well for the Liberals at the moment. Can things change in 24 days? Boy, sometimes things can change in 24 hours, can't they, Daryl? They certainly can. If you remember back to the 2019 campaign when the revelations about the Prime Minister with blackface, mm-hmm. how, how badly that went down. I mean, they were able to recover during the course of the campaign, but they had a very bad few days. Daryl, it's been a busy year for you folks, almost 18 months, a lot of polling surrounding COVID-19, but now we're here with this federal election, and to a certain extent, this is your time to shine. Does this feel like the Super Bowl within your <laughs> office? Yeah, it's kind of like the Olympics or the Super Bowl, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a very funny schadenfreude type of Super Bowl in the sense that people, uh, in, even in the media, uh, you only hear from them the day after the election if you got it wrong. <laughs> if you got it right, it was, oh, yeah, you were supposed to get it right. But if you got it wrong, oh, my God, it's a rain of, uh, you know, every type, uh, type of pestilence that, you can think of that comes down on your head. So it's really nerve-wracking, i got to tell you guys. Very no doubt. Well, we'll try to be kind no matter what. You guys are always right on the ball. So, uh, you know, hoping that it, it, it's tough because you're asking people what they think and what their opinions are, and, and that's what we all kind of go by. So, We'll see how it changes, because no doubt it will, and we'll be chatting again, Daryl. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Global Affairs with Ipsos. And it's funny, because we do have a couple of texters who are very vocal about how they feel about particularly uh, the Liberal leader. And uh, Debbie just texted in, in very large font and capital letters, (laughs) I will stay very quiet. Very, very quiet. <laughs> and if right you could now. read Debbie's text, some of them might be a little X rated that we've read over the years. Um, but it's interesting to me, yeah, separating the leader from the party in the sense that, um, you know, I am not a Justin Trudeau fan. I've never been a mm-hmm. liberal supporter. Um, I wanted more. It, well, I mean, we got some time for him to wow me. I wanted more from Aaron O'Toole. I really think that they, I don't know if they made a misstep. Is he a better choice than Andrew Shear? But I look at uh, Jagmeet Singh. 
And I think his party doesn't have a snow cones uh, chance in hell. Uh, but I but think he always he seems, polls so high. Seems to be talking sense, and I, you know, I, w- I, c- I could not bring myself to vote NDP. So if we could ask him to switch parties, <laughs> um, it's and you, 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 wouldn't it be great if everything aligned? Yeah, if you liked your leader, and, and it you, just often doesn't, right? And I think that's the thing. It, for me, I know you, you always say you're a conservative. I don't really have a party. I never really you're have partyless. a partyless. Yeah, I kind of am. I mean, when I was growing up, my parents were very much with the conservative party. I have a lot of family members mm-hmm. in Ontario that work within the conservative party. So I always voted conservative because that's what I grew up in. So how many people do that? Right. And then I started to do my own research and you know, I do, I waffle kind of back and forth to different parties because I, I kind of, I'm about the leader. I'm about the, the issues and how they affect me personally and I don't really like what's going on right now for any of the parties or the leaders yeah. themselves. It, it will be interesting, and we're seeing it play out again. Only 24 days away. And what this tells me is you're looking for a party, Sue. So if you're having a party, send us a text. <laughs> if and it's Sue will, tonight, I'm Sue in. Will be there. <laughs> Explosions at Kabul Airport triggering urgent briefings in the White House. And the Delta variant continues to spread across America. We've got an update now on all things going on in the United States. And we're joined by Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Good morning, Jackson. Good morning. Let's start with what's happening in Kabul right now. Uh, Terrible two explosions killing multiple U.S. military members yesterday. And the president is not happy. And he, boy, he was like spitting fire when he talked about it. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, this is the exact situation that both Biden and U.S. officials have been warning about here for the past few weeks. Uh, Biden himself last week said the longer we stay in Afghanistan, the risk of something like this happening uh, only increases. And about 24 hours before the attack, uh, the uh, U.S. embassy and U.S. officials had put out a warning, warning specifically about this, telling people to get away from the airport. It just tells you how desperate the situation is, though, that people were willing to risk their lives uh, to get to that airport and try and get on a flight despite those circumstances. And it really tells you about the dangerous work, I think, that U.S. troops are doing on the ground there as part of this evacuation mission. Essentially, what they were doing when these suicide bombs went off, those soldiers are in close contact with people approaching the airport, and they're doing physical security checks. They're patting them down. They're making sure that they don't have any weapons or bombs. That's the only security available to keep that from getting into the airport, where, of course, uh, ISIS-K, which is the the terrorist group believed responsible for this, uh, would, of course, love nothing more than to, say, try and take down one of these aircraft that is flying people out of the country. So really a a concerning and and tragic situation. Very interesting in that ISIS-K, this is the first I've heard of it over the past couple Mm -hmm. of days here, Jackson, in in the sense that they're obviously operating in Afghanistan. Uh, President Joe Biden saying that they will have some form of uh, retaliation. And and how do you do that in in such a volatile area and separate this ISIS-K from the Taliban? It sounds like the work is cut out for President Biden. Yeah, I think the the good news on that front, if there is any, is that, of course, ISIS-K is the sworn enemy of the Taliban. And right now, the Taliban is actually cooperating with the United States. They don't want U.S. forces there anymore. They don't want Westerners there anymore. And so it's in the Taliban's interest to help root out this terrorist organization, uh, both because, of course, it encourages the U.S. to leave, but also because the Taliban themselves don't want them around. And what is the final? I mean, we've heard that they've kind of taken the last flights, but are all U.S. service members out now or are they out in the next couple of days? 
In the next few days, they're continuing evacuation operations until August 31st. Uh, we should point out that just in the past 24 hours, despite those attacks at the airport yesterday, uh, there were still more than 12,000 people flown out of the country just yesterday. So wow. th- this incredible work does continue. Uh, but at the same time, the U.S. is slowly drawing down its forces. There's about 5,200 soldiers still there. Uh, we understand they're actually starting to destroy some of their own equipment at the airport, for example, preparing for this exit, and they will slowly scale down the troops. Uh, and then And Biden has sort of hinted that the U.S. reserves the right to respond to yesterday's terror attack in the time and place of their choosing. It doesn't have to be before August 31st. I'm wondering, uh, Jackson, what is the sentiment among uh, U.S. residents as far as this exit and the pullout? What are Americans saying? You know, it's kind of a contradictory thing where, uh, for the first time, President Biden's overall approval rating is now underwater. Only 26% of Americans approve of his handling of this particular situation. But a majority of Americans, more than 50%, support the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. And I think the argument that Biden and his people are making is... What did you expect was going to happen? Uh, you know, a few people question how this could have happened any other way. Uh, and for example, we know the Taliban had making, been making rapid advances across Afghanistan for weeks and weeks now. Uh, and yet there were plenty of American citizens and Afghans with special visas who, who chose not to leave in that time. And it was only when Kabul suddenly fell that they then were rushing for the exits. We should also point out that there are uh, more than a thousand Americans still there. And the White House admits it's not clear that all of them actually want to leave. There are people who may well want to stay at this point. So it's been a complex uh, uh, situation. And, of course, keep in mind that Biden was effectively boxed in by President Trump, who had negotiated with the Taliban and originally had planned to be gone by May 1st. Uh, Biden's argument is that at some point the U.S. needs to end its longest running war, and they are doing this as, as best they can. Jackson, you touched on this a moment ago, but we get multiple texts of people saying this, that the Taliban, this is one text from the swearing Taliban, better armed than most countries now. Because the U.S. has left so much equipment behind, is there truth to that? Do they have? Uh, are they really fully armed because of what's been left in that country or what they've taken over? You know, it's a complicated situation because yes, the U.S. Uh, did equip the Afghan army, which then, of course. Uh, abandoned its posts and left behind equipment like helicopters uh, and, and uh, you know, a huge cache of weapons. It's also not clear, though, that the Taliban has trained pilots, for example. And this is one of the questions, actually, about the withdrawal from the airport is, once the U.S. is gone, is the Taliban actually going to even be able to operate the airport in Kabul? Do they have trained uh, air traffic controllers that are willing to do that job? Uh, so I think there are big questions here about uh, how well equipped the Taliban will be at the end of the day, uh, what they can and will do with the equipment that's been left behind. But absolutely, the U.S. has effectively armed the Taliban, uh, as the CIA did uh, against the Soviets decades and decades ago. Mm. Jackson, when we last uh, touched base uh, with uh, your bureau, we were speaking with Jennifer Johnson about the cases continuing to rise in the U.S. What's the latest on COVID-19? In the US. Yeah, you know, it is a, a tragic situation. The average number of daily deaths in this country is back over 1,200. There were 2,300 deaths reported just yesterday. Uh, the number of cases, the rate of case growth is slowing, but it's still very, very high. I think there were almost 200,000 cases in the country yesterday. And really, it's a dire, desperate situation in places like Florida and Texas, where people with less serious conditions are dying because they can't get a hospital bed. Uh, two communities in Florida now have told people to conserve drinking water because drinking water is treated with liquid oxygen. And right now those supplies are being diverted to hospitals that are in short supply. So I think it gives you a sense of, of how overwhelming this is, worse than it has ever been at any point during the pandemic, despite the availability of vaccines. Wow, lots of difficult things to talk about. Thank you so much for the update, Jackson. Always appreciate it. Have a great weekend.
You too. Thank you. That is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Students are heading back to in-person learning soon, and talk of mandatory vaccines is certainly ramping up in many different categories. Well, in Calgary, it looks like masks will be mandatory at uh, secondary and, sorry, at uh, university colleges and beyond, but not vaccinations. Those are being encouraged, not mandated. That's the discussion. Are vaccination policies violations of Canadian charter rights? Well, we're going to discuss right now with Samuel Trosso, who, uh, Trosso, who is an associate professor in the Faculty of Law and Information and Media Studies at the Western University, and he says no. So good morning to you, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Glad to be here. It's a tricky situation, I'm sure, for a lot of people, whether you're a business owner, whether you're a secondary school, but does mandatory vaccination policy, does that violate our charter rights as Canadians? No, uh, I don't think it does. And we've been we've been researching this, and I, I have that article that's just been published in the conversation. And I think that there are um, there would be a lot of problems with the charter challenge. And on the other hand, universities and colleges are under a clear obligation to provide a safe study space, a safe workplace for their students and employees. So I don't think it's that I don't think it's that difficult to question. Do you think, I mean, you're giving us your opinion on this, and you've done some research and, and the legwork around it. Do you think there are law firms in our nation that are strategizing right now, um, nevertheless, to, to, to try to go to battle with something like this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we know that. There have been demand letters flying, and um, I think Seneca College in Ontario is going to be the first school that, that takes a lawsuit because they were the first one out of the gate doing this. But I, I don't think universities should be intimidated by this. They should just say, we're going to get sued, we're going to get sued. So do we have anything that we can kind of look back at in terms of history in the Canadian courts that might lead us to you know where we would sway towards now? Yes, um, quite, quite quite a bit. In the article that I wrote in the conversation that was just published two days ago, I cite to some of the leading cases, and I also have a link to another paper that I wrote that goes into much more much more detail. Um, while it's clear that forced medical procedures would violate the liberty and the security of the person interest under Section Seven. Um, the, the cases that say that can be distinguished from the campus vaccination mandate because no one is forcing you to get the, um, the vaccination because there are alternatives. Let's talk about, you know, is this a, a Canadian-specific issue or are we seeing similar conversations and similar battles in other countries? Oh, very similar, very similar conversations and battles in the United States. Now, many of the U.S. schools uh, adopted these mandates uh, much earlier, so they're in place. And in fact, there was litigation uh, against the University of Indiana that, uh, that, that upheld the university's right to have this vaccination mandate. And just, just uh, last week, the Supreme Court uh, issued it, uh, an order that they were not going to review it. So I think that there's a lot of uh, good precedent in the United States for this type of uh, proactive uh, activity on the part of the universities. And I think Canadian courts would uh, rule the same way as they did in the Indiana case. Professor, before we let you go, just a quick question. I don't know if you can speak to this or not, but we're talking about universities and colleges. Would this same rationale then apply to the workplace and businesses? Yes, and I think that's an excellent question. I think that it does apply to workplaces and businesses. I think it certainly applies to um, city 
uh, you know, municipalities, uh, stadiums, libraries, and the like. Of course, the laws could be a little different in each context. There could be different uh, labor contracts in play. But the, gen- the general principle of uh, the, 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 the charter not being an impediment to this would be, would be applicable across the board. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it, Professor. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is Samuel Trasso, Associate Professor, Faculty of Law and Faculty of Information and Media Studies at Western University. Well, we've seen a hot real estate market in Calgary through the pandemic, but has it slowed down any of late? And who might be taking advantage of the sales that we've got, home sales in this area anyway? We're going to find out from realtor and owner of Justin Haver and Associates Remax First, Justin Haver, who joins us now. Hi, Justin. How are you? Good morning, Sue and Andrew. How are you guys? Excellent. Thank you very much. So we'll talk about which provinces we're seeing people leaving and coming to Calgary from, but what is the market like overall right now? You know, we've definitely seen the market slow down from the, I'm going to call it the craziness that we saw earlier this year, right? I mean, that was just... uh, uh, it was busy, to say the least. And uh, now we're starting to see, you know, tapering off a bit. You know, the single-family segment still continues to be relatively strong, especially under the 600000 mark, where we continue to see a few bidding war sales, but clearly not as many as we saw before. Some of that may, uh, you know, contest to buyers having a little bit of uh, buyer fatigue and not wanting to get into competing offers. And, uh, you know, for the rest of the market, I mean, I think there's still lots of great opportunities in the apartment segment. That uh, sector, you know, was struggling uh, pre-pandemic and obviously with the pandemic uh, happening as well. People wanted more space. They wanted the single family homes, right? So I will still say there's many, many opportunities uh, in the apartment segment. We, you know, in the past, Justin, obviously had many opportunities when it comes to jobs in our province. So that was a, a huge attraction for people from other provinces. Uh, perhaps not the case right now, not clicking the way we used to, but you're seeing, particularly from one province, uh, more of a migration to our, 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 our fine area. Who is that? Well, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, some of the Toronto Maple Leaf fans are probably getting sick and tired of cheering for their team, so they might be looking at the Calgary Flames as an alternative. Uh, no, all joking aside, uh, you know, we're seeing a, a, a ton of uh, people from Ontario looking at Calgary as an affordable option. Obviously, with the uh, single-family homes in the, the Toronto market now exceeding $1 million, uh, you know, a lot of families are getting priced out of the market out there. You know, I hear stories where, you know, people have to uh, you combine you know, up to four people on a purchase contract in order to qualify for a mortgage out wow. there. Right. So, you know, it's definitely a massive affordability. And then they're obviously looking at other alternatives and Calgary being, you know, very, very attractive as Calgarians. We obviously know what this city has to offer and our houses, according to the people from Toronto, it seems like they're on sale. Right. Um, you know, where our prices are now, you know, just under 600000 for a single family detached versus a million. Great place to raise a family. We all know that. So good. Let them let them keep coming and welcome, <laughs> welcome to Calgary for sure. And you know it is back to school season too, Justin. Obviously, and I would assume that the market normally sort of cools down as people ramp up towards getting the kids back in school and your, their mind is elsewhere. But are you seeing that right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're starting to, have to start. We're starting to see the activity pick up a bit here, and it's typically you know end of uh, the summer holiday mm-hmm. season. 
parents being busy getting their kids back to school. Some parents might be a little excited to get the kids back into some whatever routine. And once they kind of get settled into that new routine, then we'll start to see the activity pick up a bit in the uh, okay. in the housing market. Now, I would say this, if you are someone who is looking to put your house on the market here, perhaps later this fall or in the winter, you may want to consider uh, putting your house on the market earlier in the fall rather than later, later, and also take advantage of getting some really green photos of your exterior here in the summer months, because we all know buyers can struggle with visualizing what your yard may look like in the winter months. So if you have green photos of your beautiful yard in the summer, that will definitely help you with uh, selling your property in the winter months. Great tip. That is a great tip, yeah, and I think brilliant. a lot of people more so, uh, you know, concerned about the inside and not thinking ahead because you got to strike while the iron's hot. Thank you so much uh, for your time this morning and the update, Justin. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a great weekend. That is Justin Haver, real uh, realtor and owner of Justin Haver and Associates Remax First. And like he said, so you might not be alone. More Toronto Maple Leafs fans <laughs> on the way. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.